Are the New York Giants for real after their impressive 4-1 and one start? We talk about that. The New Orleans Saints, the Baltimore Ravens, and more coming up next here on this edition of Locked on NFL. You are Locked on NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And it is Monday, so that means you have me today, Kevin Ostreicher, the host over at Locked On Ravens. As always, thank you so much for tuning in today, making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcasting platforms. That also includes over on YouTube in video form. And also today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less in their Prize Picks projection, you win up to ten times your money in your entry. First-time users can receive one hundred percent instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars with promo code Locked On. That's PrizePicks.com. Promo code Locked On, and we are back here. Week five action almost completed as we have a Monday night matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and Las Vegas Raiders still on tap, but a wild Sunday of NFL action. And it started early. We had a London game, the second London game of the year, this time between the Green Bay Packers and New York Giants. And the Giants end up beating the Packers in this game. So we'll talk with Patricia Trainer of Locked On Giants about New York's 4-1 and start, if they're for real, or if there's still some jury out right now on the Giants. We'll also talk with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints about the Saints' wild and crazy win over at the Caesars Superdome against the Seattle Seahawks. And I'll be taking you through the final segment, talking about the Baltimore Ravens, who ended up stifling the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, winning on a last-second Justin Tucker field goal. We'll dive into what this means for the AFC North and more. So we're taking it around the league here, the biggest stories of Week 5 in the NFL. So now, without any further ado, let's dive into the New Orleans Saints. We'll start there with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, talking about that twisty and topsy-turvy win that they had over the Seattle Seahawks. Well, what a game we had down in New Orleans between the Saints and the Seahawks. New Orleans coming out on top 39-32. to And here, reporting from the Caesars Superdome, is Ross Jackson, the host of Locked On Saints. Look at it in all its glory behind him there, Ross. <laughs> there are a lot of storylines we can start off in this game. But I want to ask you a simple question. Is Taysom Hill the best player on the New Orleans Saints? Well, he certainly was today, that's for sure. With three touchdowns on the ground, threw a touchdown to Adam Troutman as well. A really nice pass from him, by the way. Like some, one of the better passes that we've seen from when he got opportunities as an actual quarterback. Uh, but I, I won't say that he's the best player on the team. I think that your most consistent and therefore best player so far on the team has actually been second-year linebacker Pete Werner out of Ohio State. You can go listen to uh, Jay Stevens over at Locked on Buckeyes. Just wax philosophical about this guy all the time because he's been outstanding. But I will say he was absolutely the best player on the field today so far he's been the best player of the new orleans saints offense throughout four uh, through what five games now and will probably be at least the nfc offensive player of the week this week he had an outstanding game today yeah and l- let me flip this a little bit more league-wide ross is Taysom hill the most versatile player in all the nfl 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know who else you even put in the conversation with him right now. I mean, this guy had 112 rushing yards, three touchdowns on the ground. He had 22 passing yards. He had 69 kick return yards, and he had a fumble recovery on a punt coverage group. I mean, the dude was just all over the place. Like He just does everything. He was even a, a lead blocker on a play that sprung Alvin Kamara late for a good 10-plus yard run that ended up being a part of the ceiling drive where the Saints, for the first time this season, got to take victory formation. I mean, the guy did everything in this game yeah and when you're talking about quarterbacks Taysom Hill I mean look a very versatile player tight end everything for this team but quarterback wise Ross you have Andy Dalton leading this team to a victory now there's been some controversy I guess a little maybe in New Orleans about who should be starting Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton Jameis has been out obviously healing up with the back injury that he has but based off of what you've seen from both guys you have a couple games of both here who would you rather see quarterbacking this team moving forward yeah, look, I, I think I'll always take the ceiling of Jameis Winston over the um, – uh, you could get some consistency out of Andy Dalton. We've also seen Andy Dalton fumble. We've also seen him turn the ball over on a on an interception today. I mean, he hasn't been the perfect quarterback that I think that comes in and usurps a starting quarterback for their job while that starting quarterback is injured. He just simply hasn't had that type of performance so far. The Saints threw the ball, I think it was 28 times last week, threw the ball 25 total times this week, one of those passes being tasted. Hill. So it's not like they're going out there and really giving this offense over to Andy Dalton. They've been running. They've been keeping the ball on the ground. They almost doubled up their passing attempts with rushing attempts today. 48 rushes to 25 passing attempts. I mean, this New Orleans Saints offense hasn't really looked any better in terms of the passing game with Andy Dalton than it did with Jameis Winston. You just have a higher risk-reward with Jameis Winston, I think. So I think that taking the approach that the Saints have taken so far with Andy Dalton, but then applying that sort of that low to high take what the defense gives you type of approach and applying that to Jameis Winston which is what Sean Payton did with Jameis Winston through seven games last year I think that's very likely where the Saints will go once Jameis Winston is healthy enough to go out there but until he is Andy Dalton's undoubtedly the guy and, and it makes sense and some of these receivers that these quarterbacks have the opportunity to throw the ball to Ross Michael Thomas Jarvis Landry now guys are missing some time here you know Thomas yeah. obviously has missed the last couple of games someone who stepped up Chris Olave, the rookie out of Ohio State. Now, I know you were one of the biggest Chris Olave hype men during the pre-draft period, and the Saints end up grabbing him. In this game, he continues, I'd say, his recent dominance, 4 for 54 in a score, does have a scary sequence in the game as well. Yes. But what did you see from him in this game, but also what have you seen from him throughout the entire season so far? Chris Olave is a veteran in his first year. It, it's incredible watching him. I mean, his comebacks, his hitch routes, the things that he does to work back towards the quarterback, find the soft cushion in between defensive zones, uh, the way that he beats press coverage off the line of scrimmage, he has just been outstanding. Uh, up until this game, defenses across from him have only pressed him 29 times through four games. And it's because when they do, he ends up capitalizing for big plays, or at least they can't even get their hands on him when they try. He's been so outstanding in that area, which was something that maybe a lot of people asked a lot of questions about because of his frame coming out of college. But hey, if you can't get your hands on the kid, it doesn't matter if you try to press him or not. He's able to get those free releases off the line of scrimmage. So, you know, it stinks to lose him today, and and for we'll see how long. It was a pretty nasty uh, fall that he took when he was kind of slammed down, landed awkwardly in the head and neck area, immediately kind of went out cold, but did walk off the field with the help of trainers. So be a, you know, a, one of the many concussion storylines to follow throughout the NFL so far this season. Now, I'm not going to be surprised if we don't see him next week, but hopefully for the Saints, they'll have Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas back in his stead. 
this new concussion protocol is being put into effect very, very recently. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes with Alive. Hopefully back on the field when he's able to be, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, Ross, while this team did put up 39 points on the Seahawks, you have the defense giving up 32 to Seattle. Now, I will say, the Seattle offense this year has been sneaky underrated, pretty explosive. <laughs> I mean, Geno Smith, yeah. he's had this comeback. You have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Now, coming into the week, the Saints, in terms of net yards per attempt, both on the ground and through the air, 11th. So, Almost a top 10 unit. They are not a bad defense by any stretch of the imagination. But why did the Saints give up so many yards, so many points, so many explosive plays to Seattle here in week five? I think you have to look at the injuries on the back end, but every team deals with injuries, so it still comes down to execution. But I will say the Saints were without their, you know, two of their top safeties in Marcus May, who's usually their starter next to safety Tyron Matthew, both of which were acquired over the course of the offseason uh, to replace a guy like Marcus Williams, who's absolutely balling out in Baltimore right now. And then, of course, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, who retired over the course of the offseason. P.J. Williams, the guy that's usually a backup for either one of those safety positions, he was on injury reserve, so he had to turn to Justin Evans, who hasn't played football since 2018. And then when there were, you know, dime packages, sub packages, they usually bounce Justin Evans back inside. And then they had JT Gray. So effectively, a lot of times the Saints were five, you know, their fifth safety deep on their roster in this one. And so you saw a lot of those plays that ended up breaking out over the top without any safeties over the top and without the deep coverage that they're accustomed to having there. Hopefully the Saints can get Marcus May back. He was kind of a surprise scratch today, but has been wrestling with some injuries. So hopefully they get him back next week because there's a lot of firepower coming to town next week in the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, and you got to deal with that firepower in so many different ways if you're a mm-hmm. team like that. And Ross, when you're looking at this Saints team, this is a two and three team. How do you feel like they are in terms of their record? Is, is this a better football team than their two and three record indicates? They're a better football team on paper, but honestly, Kevin, that record reflects exactly what this team has been so far, which is a kind of run of the mill team that can't get out of its own way. You saw the explosive plays. They did have a little bit of a bounce back over in the offensive side, uh, offensive side scoring 39 points. People would have laughed at me if I would have predicted that going into this game. I would have laughed at me predicting that going into this game. But even with that sort of offensive bounce back, how much of that is sustainable? Is Taysom Hill really going to get you three rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown every single game? The defense giving up all those explosive plays. So the Saints still have to figure out how to get out of their own way, giving up those big explosive plays, not creating enough turnovers, turning the ball over themselves, continuously putting the ball on the ground when it comes to special teams, as well as uh, Alvin Kamara now with his second career fumble coming into this year throughout his entire career he only had seven he's now got two of them so far this season so they still have to figure out how to get out of their own way and until they do that they'll continue to be a run-of-the-mill middle-of-the-league team especially with their schedule getting tougher and tougher as the season goes on I know a lot's been made of of a lot of the coaching changes that happened over the course of the 2022 offseason Dennis Allen being the first year man there and everyone's still familiar with the organization obviously but how would you assess his performance so far through five weeks for this two and three football team yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you have to point to coaching for certain things. This New Orleans Saints team is so talented on paper. Their roster is so talented. Yes, they've been dealing with injuries. Yes, they've gotten the short end of the stick on a couple of different things. But execution, penalties, turnovers, all of these deals have been big for the New Orleans Saints. And some of that has to come down to the coaching. And the coaching staff will tell you that. Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinators Chris Richard, as well as Ryan Nielsen, all accepting responsibility and sort of saying, hey, it all starts and ends with us. So as of right now, what I would say about Dennis Allen is that he has not 
achieved up to the expectations that folks might have uh, had on him based upon the roster that he was coming in with. But I'm not ready to say, hey, they need to move on from him like some of the conversations going over in Denver right now, right, with Nathaniel Hackett and all of that. I don't think the New Orleans Saints are anywhere near that. They love the continuity. They love the familiarity with the organization. I think they'll continue to ride this out with Dennis Allen regardless of how south it goes at any point moving forward. Hopefully this one will be a spark plug for the Saints as they move forward here, especially with a big week six matchup on the horizon. For more on the Saints and the team, be sure to follow along with Ross over at the Locked On Saints podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Ross, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. The Saints are a much better team than their two and three record indicates. Their talent is just through the roof, both on offense and on defense. But a big week six matchup coming to town there in the Cincinnati Bengals is going to be big for them to pick up a win there. Absolutely. But we'll head into our first break here on Locked On NFL. Coming up, we'll be diving into the New York Giants, talking about their big week five win in London against the Green Bay Packers and if they are for real or not. So be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to talk about here on the show. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about prize picks. And fantasy has been a huge, huge part of my life. And I have many different shares and many different players across my many different leagues. But for prize picks, there's a ton of different things that I personally love about it. Their format, the games are super easy to play, and also you can have a ton of current entries. And how it works is you pick two to five players, and if they'll go score more or less in their prize picks projection, you can work to 10 times money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. That includes the NFL, the NBA, MLB, if NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, and so much more. Entry can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. You have safe and fast withdrawals in the currently operational in over 30 states in Canada. So download the PricePix app. Go to PricePix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive 100% deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PricePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PricePix will give you $50. Don't forget to under promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. We're back here, our second segment. Of Locked On NFL, Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with you. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day here. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, follow along in audio form as well, and make sure you check out NFL Key Predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL. Locked On's local experts give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games of the NFL weekend, including Sunday and Monday Night Football, plus betting advice from the field's leading experts, Bet Online. A lot of key predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. But let's now dive into the New York football giants, a 4-1 football team. We've seen resurgences from Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and a big win in London against the Packers in Week 5. We're going to talk with Patricia Trainer about if the Giants are for real or if they still need to do a bit more to convince people that they are back. So let's dive into that conversation now. Well, now let's go abroad to the New York Giants who played in London against the Green Bay Packers and pulled out a gutsy, gutsy victory, 27-22 to over those Green Bay Packers. Here to talk about that game and if the New York Giants are for real is Patricia Trainer, the host over at Locked On Giants. And Patricia, after a game like that, you see the Giants really pull out a really impressive win against this Packers team. How, how did they do this? I don't know, man. You, you know, in the beginning, I would have said smoke and mirrors, but 
Look, Brian Dable is getting this team to buy in. The coaching staff has done a wonderful job. I mean, if you look at some of the contributors that this team had to, to this week's win, guys that you may, may not have even heard of or you wouldn't have expected, you know, like Darius Slayton, who was buried so far and, you know, so deep on the depth chart, Justin Lane, O'Shane Zimenez, Taman Fox. You had a bunch of guys making plays, little plays that added up in addition to the big time guys. So you combine that, you combine that with, with the stars, you know, the Saquon Barkley's, the, the uh, Kayvon Thibodeau's, you combine that with the coaching, Daniel Jones, Saquon, you know, um, the offensive line. And you, suddenly you have a team that looks like a, a, a legitimate football team here. No more laughing stock. Right. Let's talk a bit about Daniel Jones, Patricia, because this is a player that I know many, many people were talking about how big of a make or break year this was for him. So far, he has been the leader. He has led this team to a four and one start as their quarterback. What have you seen from him through these first five weeks? Because I think it's been pretty impressive. Yeah, he's been uh, gutsy. He's been um, tough. You know, there was never any doubt about his toughness. I mean, he's always been a tough kid, but the important thing is he's been smarter this year. You haven't seen many as many mistakes as you've seen from him in the past. And by that, I mean, he's not turning the ball over. He's not putting the ball necessarily in harm's way on every, you know, every other throw. He's not, you know, throwing the ball and making you sit there and go, where is he doing? You know, what's he doing with this pass? You know, he's making the right decisions. He's taking command of that huddle. And I think the biggest thing that really stood out to me so far this season is when they lost that game in week three against the Dallas Cowboys, you went around the locker room and the players all had the same thing. They all said the same thing, and that is, we let DJ down. So that just goes to show you how he's kind of, you know, firming up his grasp of leadership in that locker room, how his teammates want to play for him. And even today, you know, after the after the Packers game, Dable unsolicited offered praise of Jones in, in his opening statement, you know, so that tells you what they're starting to think about this young man. And, you know, I know some giant fans might not want to hear this, but Jones has been doing everything right to make his case for a long-term contract with this team. Right. Someone else is doing the exact same thing as Saquon Barkley over there in New York. Someone who I know had the phenomenal rookie season injuries, though, just derailed his next couple of years. But he's looking back, Patricia. And in this game, I know there was a brief injury scare with the shoulder where he goes off to the locker room, comes back in, though, has another phenomenal day. What have you seen from Saquon? And is he OK injury wise? Yeah, he's fine. He did come back and he had a 40 yard run, if I'm not mistaken, when he came back. So uh, uh, he had a shoulder injury. Um, I'm not sure if it was a stinger or what, whatnot, but, you know, he went in reluctantly to the locker room to be examined, then came back out, was back in the game. But I think the biggest thing with Saquon is you see the confidence again. You know, you, you go back and you look at the tape from him last year, uh, which was his first year back from that uh, ACL injury. And you could tell there were times when he didn't fully trust his knee. You could see that, you know, he would pitter-patter or he would dance and hesitate. And that would cause holes that might have been there to close up. This year, you're not seeing that. You're seeing a guy who's more decisive, who's who's got better vision, who's hitting the holes, who's doing, you know, basically everything the right way. Plus, they're also taking advantage of the wildcat, having him run the wildcat uh, option uh, or Nittany Lion option, if you want to call it that, since he comes from Penn State. And he's been doing that successfully as well. It's something that they've been doing um, inside the red zone and with some success. And uh, that's been a nice little wrinkle that the coaching staff has thrown in there. 
Yeah, and moving over to defense, Patricia, I, this was a 17-3 to game at one point, and for the rest of the game, you go into halftime, you come back out of the halftime locker room. The Giants allowed just two points over the course of the second half, and that was on a safety when they were trying to run the clock down and get time to as little as possible. I mean, how did Don Martindale's crew stifle Aaron Rodgers in this Packers offense in that second half? Yeah, that was pretty impressive considering that going into this game, they didn't have Aaron Robinson who was placed on – IR. They didn't have Leonard Williams, who was declared out. Um, he was inactive. Um, they lost a Dory Jackson midway through the game. There's their other starting cornerback and their best cornerback. Um, they didn't have Aziz Ojolari, so they were missing a lot of pieces on the defensive side of the ball. And basically, what, what Don Martindale did was he adjusted as they went along. I mean, pretty clever. So you lose your your starting cornerbacks. What do you do? You put a deep safety back there to provide over the top help so that those guys aren't getting burned. And the other thing that he did really well, I thought, was disguising the coverages and, and, and pass rush. How often did we see the Giants get home, which is four guys? We saw it a lot more, I think, this week than maybe we saw all of last year, which was pretty impressive. So hat tip to, to Don Martindale. You know, he's he's a crafty veteran coach, you know, not afraid of a challenge. Some people will say, oh, you know, he's arrogant. And you know, Kevin, you know, he was with Baltimore for a number of years. So you know fully well what he's like. But he's really a brilliant football mind. You know, he's he's, he's not going to be out Fox too often, I think. Yeah, and someone who also I think players gravitate towards. Players really do like mm-hmm. him and just the, the presence that he is in the locker room himself is really, really great. But speaking of coaching, Patricia, Brian Dable has turned this team around. And big credit to what he's been able to do as the head coach, leading these men to a 4 and one record. I mean, what has been the difference for you with a Brian Dable-led team and what his coaching staff has done so far? Trust. That's the biggest thing. You know, player, uh, coaches always say, we're going to put you in the best position possible to, to make plays. And, you know, they say it and it sounds great on paper, but a lot of times they don't. It's like, okay, this is the offense we run or this is the defense we run. And, you know, maybe you're not quite a fit, but we're going to try and get you to that point. Dable trusts these guys. And I'll give you an example. On, on the touchdown run by Daniel Bellinger, the tight end, that was off that double reverse. I guess they called it the Philly special two or whatever. Um, so, so Bellinger actually had the option of throwing that ball or running the ball. And it was up, you know, Dable and offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka basically told Bellinger, you know, I I guess in practice, if you see the opportunity to throw, go ahead and throw otherwise run it in. So they're not micromanaging these guys. They're trusting them to make the right decisions, to take ownership in what they're doing and the players are responding. They love this, this coaching staff and, you know, whatever the coaching staff is asking of these guys, they're doing it. So that's another thing you see, you don't get too much pushback. You don't get, you know, well, why are you asking us to do this, that, and the other thing? So it's really good communication. There's a matter of trust, not just the the coaching staff trusting the players, but vice versa. And I think that's been a big difference for this Giants team. And and with this Giants team, Patricia, they are in a division that has been phenomenal for the most part this season. You have Philadelphia doing their thing, the Cowboys, Commanders, we'll see on the Commanders, but the Giants are right in the thick of things for this NFC East division title, Patricia. How do you see the rest of the division shaking out here and what you've seen from how the Giants can compete with those teams? Yeah, I mean, right now, we got to give credit where it's due, and I'm sorry, Giant fans, but the Eagles right now are the team atop of the NFC East until further notice. So, um, you know, 
Oh, right around now, though, is when we're starting to see teams kind of take shape as far as we're, we're trying to see what the identities were. You know, the first three, four weeks of the season, we were kind of learning about the teams. And, you know, right now the Eagles look like they're for real. The Giants have proven, you know, that they can stand toe to toe, even in the losing effort against Dallas. They, that wasn't a blowout. So they're they're coming up against some good teams now. You know, some people will say, well, you know, the Packers also hurt themselves with some undisciplined this discipline play, some mistakes that they made. Yeah, but every team does that. So, you know, the Giants basically are learning how to win. They're learning not to beat themselves, which is important. And uh, they're being competitive. So, you know, as long as they keep doing what they're doing, um, it's going to be interesting when they get the Eagles coming up in the second half of the season. Yeah, and I know that for a lot of these people who were looking at, oh, which division is going to be stronger than which one? The, the NFC East was one that was kind of put down a little bit and was like, oh, they're not going to be that good this year. But here we are. They're one of the best divisions of football right now with teams like Philadelphia, the Giants, even the Cowboys in that conversation. But Patricia, I do want to ask you a question and that it's a simple one. Are the Giants for real or are they not for real? Why or why not? I think at this point you have to say that they are for real because they are finding ways to win, you know, whereas in the past, they always seem to easily find a way to lose. Um, this year, it's the opposite. They're finding ways to win, whether it be a gutsy performance, whether it be a ball bouncing their way, whether it be the coaching staff simply outfoxing the other staff, which I think, you know, was you could say was the case uh, this week's game. The Giants are finding ways to get it done. And, you know, is this the most talented team in the NFL? No, not by a long shot. They still need to address receiver. They've got to add to the cornerback depth. They've got they've got some issues that they have to address in the offseason. But this team is definitely headed on the right track. They're definitely pointed in the right direction. And uh, Giant fans, you have a lot to smile about with this team and, and where they're at right now. Got two performances by this team, multiple performances where you could say, hey, this Giants team, definitely for real moving forward. It's going to be exciting what they can do over the course of the rest of the season. Patricia, thank you so much for joining me. If you want to check out more of Patricia's work, be sure to follow and subscribe to the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Patricia, thanks so much. I'm liking what I'm seeing from the Giants here over the first five weeks. Saquon Barkley is back. I think we have to see a little more from Daniel Jones before we call him back if he even was there in the first place. I don't really know that he was, but Don Martin are doing a great job with that defense. Brian Dable, definitely a man for the job, and they have a big matchup against Baltimore in week six. And speaking of the Baltimore Ravens, we'll be diving into that in our final segment, talking about Baltimore's big 19-17 to divisional win over the Cincinnati Bengals with yours truly, of course, talking about the Ravens. So be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to talk about here on Lockdown NFL. But first, I do want to tell you a bit about Built Bar. And if you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are missing out one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor in the delicious cookie dough. It's covered in chocolate and Built has done it again because let me introduce you to your new favorite, the cookie dough chunk puffs. They have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and of course they're covered in 100% real chocolate. You have all the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it plus is healthy for you. Cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories. They have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them as well. And like all Bill Bars, new cookie dough chunk puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. That means they're healthy and tasty. Chocolate covered cookie dough with a lightly fluffy texture. It's so good. And you're going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff, whether you need a snack for your workout, maybe a late night treat, or you just need to grab a quick bite. Build is the perfect protein bar and they taste better than a candy bar. It's your calories, fat, and sugar. Grab yourself a Bill Bar. Go to built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and get 50% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15. 
We're back here, our final segment of Locked On NFL here. Following Sunday's action of week five of the 2022 season, Kevin Allstriker is still here hanging out with you. Thank you so much again for tuning in here with us today on Locked On NFL, making us your first listen of the day. But be sure to make your second listen to Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's really available wherever you get your podcast. But now we're going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens. And since I am the host of Locked on Ravens, I'll be taking on this conversation here today. This was a huge win. Massive win for the Ravens, 19-17 to over the Bengals on Sunday night football. The Ravens only get in the end zone once. They have to rely on the leg of Justin Tucker. And you know what? It was enough. It was enough. And you talk about a team that really has had some heart-wrenching, heart-breaking losses in the Dolphins game in week two, the Bills game in week four. Well, the Bengals took the lead late in this game. You have Joe Burrow sneaking it in from one yard away right after the two-minute warning. But this was such – it's such an easy game script to predict with this Ravens – especially how it was going. I'm gonna, I want to preface it by that. How the game was going, the Ravens, I mentioned, only scored one touchdown. But they were doing a good job of moving the ball down the field a little bit, especially later, and getting into range for Justin Tucker. So the Bengals take the lead, and they're up by one. They're up 17-16. to 16. And for me, I'm thinking Joe Burrow scores that touchdown, the kick, the extra point, which was just barely in by it actually went over the the upright and it counts. It's called the Justin Tucker rule, actually. And a lot of teams actually extended their uprights because of it. The Ravens beat the Patriots that way on a ball going over the upright, exactly over it about 10 years ago against the Patriots. So Evan McPherson does that. And you're, you're, you're thinking, or at least I am, look, the Ravens have done it all night. They've gotten down into Justin Tucker range. And they have had three field goals at that point by what I do think is the greatest kicker of all time, by the way. And so I'm thinking, look, if the Bengals score here, it's good. There's going to be time left for Lamar Jackson. And I know there are all the all the memes and everything of, uh, you know, there's too much time for Aaron Rodgers. There's too much time for Tom Brady, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there was definitely too much time for Lamar Jackson. The Ravens put together a methodical, masterful seven play, 50 yard drive and a minute and 58 seconds. They have runs by Lamar Jackson, completions to Mark Andrews, a sprinkle of Kenyon Drake in there too. And they get down to Justin Tucker's range well within Justin Tucker's range. He kicks a 43-yard field goal to win the game. And I actually I put it down in the notes app on my phone when the two-minute warning hit. I said, here's my prediction. The Bengals score a touchdown. Justin Tucker ends the game on a game-winning field goal. And it's a, it's exactly what happened. 280. That's the most confident I think I've been in, predi- in, a, in a prediction in a very long time. I, the whole time I was not worried whatsoever because it just felt like the way the game was going, how it had gone earlier. The Ravens were in position to, if the Bengals score, go down the field, march down the field, and get into Justin Tucker's range, who someone called him a military-grade weapon just based off how good he is. And I, I agree. I mean, he's he's incredible. But some other storylines in this game, both quarterbacks definitely looked mortal in this one. Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow definitely did not have their finest games. Jackson completing 19-32 passes, 174 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Also, two very bad overthrows in a span of three plays on what should have been touchdowns, one to Devin DuVernay. The other to, who was it? It was Tylen Wallace was the other one. And then you have Joe Burrow, who went 24 of 35 for 217 yards, one touchdown, one interception himself. But this was a game where the the Ravens and Bengals really couldn't pass the ball very effectively. This was a ground game. When you talk about where did the offenses succeed, it was definitely on the ground. The Ravens averaged 5.5 yards per carry, 
Cincinnati coming into this game was a terrible run offense. They averaged 3.1 yards per carry, which was second to last in the league. Well, the Ravens allowed them to average 4.8 yards per carry on the ground. So it was definitely a, a ground game. Joe Mixon came into the game averaging 2.7 yards per carry. Not wonderful. Whereas in this game, he averaged 5.6. Lamar Jackson, the leading rusher for Baltimore once again. But in the passing game, for Baltimore at least, you had two guys step up. And I mean literally two guys and two guys only. Mark Andrews and Devin DuVernay. Andrews 8 for 89 in the score. Devin DuVernay 5 for 54 in the score. Rashad Bateman did not play in this game. I think it is evident that Baltimore does need wide receiver help still. They don't have enough, especially with someone like Bateman out. I think they are okay when Bateman and DuVernay play. I think those two are obviously your number one, number two options as a wide receiver. But if Bateman has to miss extended time, which, you know, he, he left the game in a boot after week four against Buffalo, everybody moves up a rung on that ladder. And so you're relying on Demarcus Robinson, Tyler Wallace, James Prochet. And I just didn't see a lot out of those guys on Sunday night. So I know there have been, there have been rumors swirling about, is DJ Moore from Carolina available? Would Odell Beckham be an option when he's able to return from his ACL surgery? So th- there are options, and we'll see if Baltimore ends up doing anything with that or if they decide to roll with their guys which they are a very loyal team they're loyal in multiple different aspects so we'll we'll figure that out but I do want to give credit to Baltimore's defense I think this was a game where we needed to see the Ravens put together a full defensive performance for four quarters and I think for the most part for the not not the entire game but for the most part we saw a team that is figuring it out on defense. I think when you add a new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, you're going through that transition. You're adding some new pieces, going through injuries, getting guys back, losing guys here and there. there there's going to be an adjustment period. And I think we saw that over the first three-ish weeks of the year where the big plays are being given up. I think Mike McDonald was trying to find his way as an NFL defensive coordinator, which he came over from Michigan. And there is a difference in the college game versus the NFL game. But now where I think seeing it, Big plays were a huge issue for the Ravens early on in the season. The Ravens did not allow the Bengals offense to do anything big play-wise. I mean, the longest reception of the game for the Bengals was Mike Thomas, who had a 33-yarder. Then you had, you know, you had some 19 yards, 15, 18, 13, but it's not like you're giving up four, consistent 40s or consistent 30s. I think Baltimore did a great, great job of that and just made Joe Burrow look super uncomfortable. It seems like Burrow's having a bit of a down season compared to what people have expected out of him. And I know that because I have him a fantasy in a couple of weeks. But I, I think that what, what the thing is, and obviously the Bengals did not have T. Higgins for the majority of this game. And I also know that because I also have T. Higgins in a, in a bunch of fantasy leagues. But losing a guy like Higgins isn't going to impact your offense, right? But the Ravens lost Marcus Williams to a dislocated wrist. It feels like he's going to be out for a a very long time. That's a big loss to their secondary. But you go back to the comparisons of just where the Ravens were a year ago, or honestly less than a year ago, versus where they are now secondary-wise. In that game in Week 16 of 2021, the Ravens cornerbacks, I'll go top four, Anthony Averett, Tavon Young, Daryl Worley, Kevon Seymour. This time around Week 5 of 2022, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Brandon Stevens, Pepe Williams. It's a big talent. It's a big talent increase when you're looking at what the Ravens had then versus what the Ravens had now. And I think you you can't take that away. Now, I still think Joe Burrow is a good quarterback, right? I'm not saying he's terrible, but I do think that Baltimore secondary, it it is playing great right now. And the loss of Marcus Williams is going to be a big one. But I do think that Marlon Humphrey is back to Marlon Humphrey. I know he had a bit of a down year based off of expectations in 2021. He is, I think, all the way back. 
Marcus Peters has honestly been the savior of this defense. He has been the fire. He is playing phenomenal. And look, there's a reason these two guys are all pros and pro bowlers. They, they are great football players and they make the rest of the defense. I think elevate Patrick queen as an interception. The Ravens get some pressure early on, on Joe Burrow. So it's those types of things that I think coming together for this Ravens team that is now in first place, sole possession of first place in the AFC North. And it's big because Baltimore's division record last year was one in five. They did not play well in their division. That's very uncharacteristic, I think, for the Ravens. This win also ends a five-game home losing streak dating back to last season. And also, big conference win. You know, the Bengals are still an AFC opponent. And after Baltimore dropped two winnable games to the Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills in weeks two and four, respectively, this was a big win in multiple aspects. Now, I'm not going to call a win in the in the beginning of October a must-win because you're not going to get eliminated from the playoffs in October but they really, really, really needed this win. And I'm glad they got it because I think for what the Ravens want to do, they they have a much, I'd say, easier schedule coming up. Now they do have the Giants that we talked with Patricia about earlier, and that's going to be, I think, a tough matchup, a revenge game of sorts for Don Martindale and some former Ravens on that team. But I think the Ravens talent-wise, they have so much talent on offense, so much talent on defense. It's just a matter of staying healthy and executing for a full 60 minutes. So credit to Justin Tucker. Again, he, the, the Ravens won this game for multiple different reasons, but they won the one without Justin Tucker. So credit to him. And I think this Ravens team, again, it's going to be Baltimore and Cincinnati competing for that AFC North crown. This was a big step for the Ravens though, in being able to secure the division title. But that's all I have for you here today on Locked On NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in, going around the biggest stories of week five of the 2022 season with me. When we get back here tomorrow, we dive into more NFL content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and we will see you right back here tomorrow.